Our text this morning is John 14, verses 1 through 4, and this is the word of Almighty God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Pray with me, friends. Lord, as we stand here today, we do thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the word. And we thank you for grace. We thank you for goodness. We thank you for your holy glory. And God, we would pray that this morning you would open your word to us and that you would be active in our hearts, doing transformative things. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Would anybody be opposed if I read to you something from Charles Spurgeon? Some of you guys are pro-Spurgeon. Okay, I'm just checking. Now, I want you to know that what, I, what I'm reading here, Spurgeon was, right, was speaking to pastors, but I think in a lot of ways any Christian can grab hold of this one. He's writing about a minister's troubled heart. And he writes this, quote, As it is recorded that David in the heat of battle waxed faint, so may it be written of all the servants of the Lord. Fits of depression come over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise not always ready. The brave, not always courageous, and the joyous, not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. Knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means, being visited therewith at seasons by no means few or far between, I thought it might be consolatory to some of my brethren, if I gave my thoughts thereon, that younger men might not fancy that some strange thing had happened to them when they they became for a season possessed by melancholy. And that sadder men may know one upon whom the sun has shone right joyously did not always walk in the light. Spurgeon, lecturing his students, let them know that all people, especially ministers, deal with things like fear, anxiety, and depression. The great English preacher even admitted to his hearers that though he may seem strong to them, because we think of Spurgeon as a strong guy, don't we? Spurgeon said he was given to melancholy, being visited by seasons of deep depression of the soul. Why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God use people who are so very weak. Spurgeon says, quote, Disembodied spirits might have been sent to proclaim the word, but they could not have entered into the feelings of those who being in this body do groan being burdened. 
Angels might have been ordained evangelists, but their celestial attributes would have disqualified them from having compassion on the ignorant. Men of marble might have been fashioned, but their impassive natures would have been a sarcasm upon our feebleness and a mockery of our wants. Men and men subject to human passions, the all-wise God has chosen to be his vessels of grace. Hence these tears, hence these perplexities and castings down. God has chosen people like you and me. People with flaws, people with emotions, people with fears, people who suffer to accomplish his will. This is to his praise. When God uses weak vessels like us, he gets the glory when he accomplishes his plan. One more Spurgeon quote. He also says to us, These infirmities may be no detriment to a man's career of special usefulness. They may, they may have even been imposed upon him by divine wisdom as necessary qualifications for his peculiar course of service. Some plants owe their medicinal qualities to the marsh in which they grow, others to the shades in which alone they flourish. Though we may deeply wish we could defeat our sorrows and crush our melancholy, God may instead know that it's best for us to battle it. And thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us without hope, without help, or without comfort. You ever had a feeling or an emotion you wish you could change? You ever, you ever disliked something, feared something, or been grieved by something you felt powerless to put aside in yourself? How do you respond when you have a feeling or a thought that seems insurmountable? How do you respond when something's in your head or it's in your heart and you just don't think you can overcome it? As Christians, we're called by God to take our thoughts captive to grab hold of our own emotions and our thoughts and make them conform to what God has revealed. And today, I don't presume to give you an answer. I'm not going to give you a sweet little pill that makes your troubles fade away. But I do want to share with you from the word of God how Jesus spoke to his disciples when they were deeply troubled. And perhaps if you look closely, you'll find with me a set of ways that we can find hope and strength and encouragement. If you'll follow along with me, maybe you'll grab hold of a few ways that you can overcome a troubled heart. I want to give you five points together here in these four verses. And for full disclosure, some of you may have these points written down already because we taught through them five or so years ago. How many of you remember what I taught five years ago? Precisely. <laughs> How many of you remember what I said five minutes ago? I know you people. Point number one, you Ready? Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Verse 1 begins, Let not your hearts be troubled. The setting for this week's message is the night of the Passover meal. Jesus has already washed his disciples' feet. He's told the disciples that he's going to go Away, he's going to be betrayed by one of them. Judas has left the group. 
He's off to fetch the soldiers who will arrest Jesus. Jesus has told his disciples, I need you to love one another. He's told his disciples, I'm going away. Peter and the group are particularly troubled by Jesus' words that he's going somewhere that they can't follow. And just before this section right here, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me before the sunrise. And that really troubled the disciples because if Peter, whose name means what? What does Peter mean? Rock. If Rocky is going to fall, how can any of the rest of these guys stand? What in the world is Jesus talking about? Where is Jesus going? Why aren't we going to be with him? Why can't we follow? Who would dare betray Jesus? Why would anybody betray Jesus? How could Jesus possibly think any one of us would ever deny him, even for a minute? And as the disciples grow more and more troubled, as their hearts get heavier and heavier and more sorrowful, Jesus speaks again. And these words of Jesus, they're so closely tied to the last chapter that, don't read the, that you shouldn't read the chapter break into them. These are not removed. Jesus sees the distress on the faces of Peter and the disciples after he says he's going to go away. And then Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus isn't just telling the disciples, cut it out. Instead, Jesus is showing the disciples something true of himself. Jesus is showing his disciples a love that few of us have ever seen, a love that few of us can ever match. Jesus is showing these men compassion, great, deep compassion. Remember the circumstances Jesus is in? If you do, I think you're going to understand why I said that this line is kind and loving, wonderful and compassionate. Back in 30, verse 31 of chapter 13, John said Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. The word for troubled is a word that indicates he was emotionally shaken. It's actually the, the same word there is sometimes used for the, the noise a distressed horse makes. Jesus trembled. He groaned. He was racked with grief, with sorrow, with anguish. He was heartbroken. But within just a few minutes, Jesus is the one saying to his disciples, guys, don't be troubled. At the moment when his disciples should have been comforting Jesus, Jesus offers the disciples the words of comfort that they need. You ever tried to tell somebody about your own troubles only to have them try to trump their bad day, your bad day with theirs? How do you like it when somebody does that for you? Man, I've been frustrated today, man. Work was rough. I'm worried about my, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. The bills are rough. And they're like, yeah, that's nothing. My boss is way more of a jerk than your boss is. Well, thanks. I feel better now. Doesn't that just make you want to say to somebody, look, I'm trying to tell you about something that's real to me right now. Don't make this about you. Not now. I need help. I don't need you to show me that you think you've had it worse than me. Jesus is so loving here. 
Jesus is the one who is the hurting one. Jesus is the one facing the betrayal of a close friend. He's the one facing the scourge of Roman whips. He's the one facing the mockery of six false trials. He's the one facing the cross. He's the one facing the wrath of Almighty God for sins he never committed. He's the one who faced death itself. And Jesus is the one who, when his disciples showed him they were troubled, reached out to comfort them. What an amazing Savior is the Lord Jesus. Do you have troubles? Do you have sorrows? Do you have pain? Remember the compassion of Jesus. He's not aloof to you. Jesus is not telling you, suck it up and press on. Jesus is not telling you, hey, you think you got problems? Let me tell you about mine. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is gentle and loving and compassionate. He cares. And Jesus would look you right in the eye and he would say to you, let not your heart be troubled. Friends, see the compassion and the love in the Lord Jesus and let that help you to overcome a troubled heart. Now, Jesus didn't just try to help his disciples by telling them not to be troubled. He didn't limit himself to showing compassion. He did more. And in the next verses, we're going to see several things to think about, to put our minds on, to help us take our thoughts captive, things things we can think about in place of anxiety. You can see the first one in point number two, overcome a troubled heart with faith in Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart with faith in Jesus. Verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So after Jesus tells the disciples what not to think, he tells them what to think about instead. That is really good counseling. That is good counseling practice right there. It should make sense to anybody who's ever tried to stop thinking about something. Quick, try not to think about a pink elephant. Do not think about a pink trunk, a pink tail, pink elephant legs with little white tusks coming out of the pink elephant. And do not think about it having a bow on its pink head. How'd you do? What'd you guys think about? Yeah. What happens when you try to simply not think about something? The first thing you do is think about the thing you're not supposed to think about. Our minds work that way. It makes sense then that Jesus would tell, would give his disciples a replacement thought. He wants their minds to go somewhere other than the sorrow and the heart trouble that they're feeling. So he offers the first replacement thought right here. Believe in God and in me also believe. There's some theology here. There's a tool to overcome a troubled heart here. Let's do some theology. Jesus just sat himself right beside God the Father. The reason I say Jesus said, believe in God and in me also believe, is that's the way that the language is worded here in the sentence in the original language. What's what's significant here is Jesus is absolutely clear. I'm on the same level, on the same footing as God. Why? Jesus is God. 
He's not secondary to God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a sort of mini God. Jesus and the Father are one in their very essence. Yes, they're different persons, but they are united in the Holy Trinity, one God. This verse calls us to believe in Jesus as we believe in God. And in doing so, we can see that our worship and our lives ought to belong to this very Jesus because he is God in the flesh. Also in the statement to his disciples, here's a replacement thought to think about instead of their troubles. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe in God, believe in Jesus. A fair question for you to ask yourself when you find your heart troubled is this. Start rethinking your faith. Do I believe in God? Do I really believe in Jesus? Now, you might say that sounds a little trite or a little dangerous, but just think with me about this. When you suffer, and you will, you've got a couple options. Either you can think that God is not there, or you can understand that God is there and in control. You can either choose to think that God has nothing to do with your situation that you're on your own, or you can choose to believe rightly so that God's right there working all things together for your good and his glory. Believing that Jesus is God will help you think rightly when you suffer. You understand, don't you? You're not thinking about a God who has never been through it because Jesus became flesh and suffered. You're not thinking about a God who has never suffered or has never felt the sorrow of betrayal. You're not talking about a God who is without compassion. You're remembering that your suffering, your pain, your hard time is still under the sovereign hand of the wonderfully loving, wonderfully compassionate, wonderfully self-sacrificial Lord Jesus Christ. So when your heart is troubled, fight it. Fight not just by trying to stop feeling bad. Fight instead by thinking about ultimate truth. Yes, your situation hurts. But there's a God in heaven over all things. There's a God who can comfort you, who can care for you in a way that nobody else ever could. There's a God who has shown enough compassion to say to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, even when his disciples should have been offering him their own encouragement. There's a God who willingly suffered the horrors of the cross to bring salvation to his children. Think about that God and you will find that he will help you overcome a troubled heart. Third point, overcome a troubled heart by remembering your place in heaven. Verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So the next thought Jesus has for the minds of the disciples is one of great comfort and great beauty because he's talking here about heaven. Jesus describes heaven as his father's house. The picture here is of a great, big, beautiful building. And in that building are many dwelling places. And he's telling his disciples, in that building with its glorious living quarters, there's plenty of room for everybody who will ever follow me. And in case you think Jesus is just making this up, 
He's like, look, if this wasn't true, I most certainly wouldn't have said so. If we know Jesus is not a liar, then we know that there's room in heaven for everybody who will put their faith in Jesus. And when Jesus draws his, mind, his disciples' minds toward heaven, he shows us that thinking about eternity helps you deal with your pain in the here and now. So often the things that trouble us are relatively short-lived, relatively temporary. Think for a moment about something that stressed you out in recent days. Maybe it's an insult you received from someone. Have you been insulted any time recently? Maybe it's something somebody failed to do for you when they said they would. Maybe you felt like someone slighted you. Maybe somebody cost you some money. How many of those things are going to matter to you in a month? How many of those things are going to really matter to you in a year? How many of those things are really going to matter to you in 10 years? The fact is, most of the things that we suffer, most of the things that stress us out and make our hearts troubled are things that are going to fade away over time. Now, I will admit, there are some things, some wounds, some hurts that hang on for a long time, even a lifetime. But can you guys agree with me that generally the things that get under your skin don't last a lifetime? Now, look at what Jesus wants you to think about. Instead of dwelling on how unkind your supposed friend was when he or she said what he or she said, instead of dwelling on, oh my goodness, I cannot believe my spouse talked to me with that tone of voice. I'm making that one up. That's never happened in my house, but I hear it happens in other people's houses. (laughs) Think instead about eternity. Think about forever. Is what happened to stress you out going to matter in heaven? No way. What matters is that God has a wonderful house. God has a glorious home. And God has made room in that glorious house for all of his children to dwell with him forever. We can overcome troubled hearts if we will just Set our minds not on this short life, but on the place God made for all of his children in glory. Point four. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Look at verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. I think I just quoted that last line in NIV. That where I am, you may be also. As Jesus points the disciples toward heaven, he says something that if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. And if you miss what he says here, you're going to misunderstand what Jesus intends for you to find glorious and comforting about heaven. Jesus tells the disciples... If he goes to prepare a place for them, he will come back for them. That's good news, right? Are you guys glad to hear that Jesus says, if I'm preparing a spot for you, I'm going to come get you? Amen, we're in, right? 
Jesus does prepare a place for his followers. We'll talk about how in a moment. That promise is true. He's going to come to get his followers. But now, Jesus said, if he goes to prepare a place for them, he's going to come get them and do what? This is important. What is he going to do when he comes back for you? If I said to you, I'm going to build you a house, pretend I have the skill and ability to do so. If I said, I'm going to build you a house and then I'm going to come get you, you assume that the follow-up is, I'm going to come get you and take you to the house so you could be in the house. It would make sense here for Jesus to have said to his disciples, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you to that place. Why does Jesus not say, I will come and get you and bring you to your dwelling place? Why does Jesus not focus on the house? The answer is simple. Jesus does not focus you on the house because Jesus does not want you to think not even for a minute that the dwelling place is the most important thing that he's promising you. Jesus said, I will bring you to what? To myself. Because being with Jesus is the number one most important thing in all of eternity. What? makes heaven truly heaven. Is it gates of pearl? Do you care whether the gates are pearl or not? Is it bejeweled walls? Is it streets made of gold? Is it a river? I'm I'm for the river of life. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I want to find out if we get to walk on it. That'd be kind of cool, huh? Water skiing with no skis. Is, is the best thing about heaven getting to see your grandma? No. Now, I hope your grandma's there. But that's not the number one thing. It's not even the dwelling place God has for you. It's not even how cool your house is going to be. If any of those things are your primary focus, and a lot of things are being figurative right here, but... If any of this stuff is your primary focus when you think about heaven, you have missed the point. Not one of those things makes heaven truly heaven. What makes heaven truly heaven is this simple fact. Jesus is there. I'm going to borrow an illustration here from John Piper that he gave it together for the gospel one year when I was there. And I want to change it around because that's the kind of person I am. How many of you are music lovers? You guys like music. Anybody like going to concerts? As you get older, it stops being as much fun. But you know, I want you to imagine you've been given a ticket to the concert you want to go to. Right? I mean... It's like I just gave Drew a Taylor Swift ticket. Okay, maybe not. Uh, Like if I just gave Ben a ticket to like Banjo Fest 2024. 
you've got a ticket to the concert for the performer, the one you like best. I'm not going to tell you what one's mine because you judge me. And you get ready to go. You got your ticket. What do you do with that ticket? Oh, I love my ticket, right? Don't you love, oh, I got this ticket. I can't believe I got this ticket. You might sing and dance over having that ticket. You probably tell your friends about your ticket. Guess what? I got a ticket to the show, right? You love your ticket before the show, don't you? Now, let's say you get into the arena and you get to your seat. How important is the ticket once you're sat down? Now, unless you're one of those weirdos that scrapbooks things. When the concert is over, what do you do with your ticket? I said, unless you're one of those weirdos, Kelly. What do you do with the ticket when the show's over unless you're a scrapbooker? You throw it away. Why? Because the ticket now is a piece of cardboard. It's not important. It's the means you used to get into the real show. Listen to me. Jesus cannot be a ticket to heaven for you. Jesus cannot be the means you use to get something else you want. If Jesus is that to you, you've missed out on true joy and true faith. Now, I want to rework the illustration because Piper was trying to come up with a way to, to take it to really illustrate what Jesus is. And he said, I can't think of it. I think I got it. Imagine you have a great show you want to go to. Your favorite performer is going to perform. And you're told by the performer himself, you can come. And then as you approach the arena, the performer, the star of the show comes to you and walks you into the arena, past the security guards, and sits you down in the front row. The performer is not a ticket you throw away. Instead, the performer is the very one you came there to see. If that performer is not there, the show doesn't matter. The whole point of the show is that you find joy in the presence of the performer. That is heaven. Jesus is not only the way you get into heaven. Jesus is the thing that makes heaven truly heaven. If Jesus is not there, heaven becomes hell. If Jesus is not there, gold and jewels and pearls and the rest mean nothing. If Jesus is not there, heaven is empty. It's meaningless. It is worthless. But with the presence of the Lord Jesus, heaven offers us more than our hearts could ever imagine. And if you've got a heavy heart, one way to overcome that heart is to set your mind on things above. As God commanded us in Colossians 3 verse 2 that Jason preached to us last week. Think about what makes heaven truly heaven. Think about Jesus' promise to come and bring you to himself. Think about the Jesus who will ease all your burdens and dry all your tears and fill your heart with joy. And you will overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Finally, point number five, overcome a troubled heart 
by remembering Jesus at Calvary. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus says to the disciples, you know the way to get where I'm going. And in the verses to follow, he's going to make sure that they really do get the point that he, Jesus, is the way to get to heaven, to peace, to God himself. But how did Jesus make the way for us to have that dwelling place to go to heaven? How did Jesus go and prepare a place for us? The language Jesus uses here doesn't indicate it. It certainly doesn't indicate Jesus is talking about a construction project, right? Guys, I've got to go build something. I'll be back. He's not trying to tell the disciples he's going to spend thousands of years working up these building places. In fact, the dwelling places are already there. Jesus says, in my Father's house are. It's already there. He's not, going to, he's not leaving them to build it. They're there. They're ready for those who are going to live in heaven eternally. You know, before God created, God knew who was coming, right? But for the place to be prepared for Jesus' followers... The price had to be paid. Jesus went and prepared a place for his followers when he went to the cross. He paid the cost of our dwelling place when he shed his blood for our sins. This is the last thing I want you to ponder as you look for a way to overcome a troubled heart. Jesus called his disciples not to be troubled in spirit, even as he faced the ultimate horror He faced the wrath of God for the sins of other people. Jesus always had the cross in mind as he had these conversations with his followers. So looking to Jesus at the cross is a way for you to overcome your troubled heart. Think it through. You feel sad. You feel miserable. You feel like your heart's broken. Before you throw yourself the ultimate pity party... Take a look in your mind's eye at the form of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He hangs there naked before a scoffing world. He's bloody, bruised, swollen, barely recognizable. He's mocked by the people around him. Even worse, he is for the only time in all of eternity being counted by his father as if he were guilty of all the sins that God would ever forgive. He's under the righteous wrath of the father, though he has done nothing to deserve it. Even fully knowing that he's fulfilling God's eternal plan, even knowing this is all part of his eternal agreement with the Father, Jesus hurts on the cross more than any human being has ever hurt in all of human history because it's physical and then tremendous infinite level spiritual pain. As you let the suffering of the Lord Jesus fill your mind, are you really ready to go toward self-pity now? Do you really have room to continue to worry about what troubles your heart? Do you really have the heart to look at Jesus in your mind's eye and then say, yeah, but I'm really suffering? A true glimpse of the suffering of the Savior does much to help us overcome a troubled heart. Now look, I know many of us have reasons to be troubled. God offers us true solutions to troubled hearts. He calls you to fight your feelings and replace 
dangerous thoughts with righteous ones. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Overcome a troubled heart by, with faith in Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering your place in heaven. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus at Calvary. And if you're hearing my voice and you're saying to yourself, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you don't have the forgiveness of God yet in Jesus. I want to invite you to come to know Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, but he took on human flesh. He came to this world and lived an absolutely perfect life and then died on the cross as a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave, returning to life, and he never died again. Jesus physically went into heaven, and he's right there, right now, alive, and he promises he will come back to this earth one day. The living Lord Jesus makes an offer to every one of us. If you want to be forgiven of your sin, if you want to be made right with God, I want to tell you the two parts. Repent and believe. Repent means that you turn away from trying to rule your own life or make your own way to heaven. You don't do things your way. You don't think your own way. Instead, you surrender to God and you determine that you will no longer try to be the master, but you will surrender to Jesus and let Jesus be your King and Lord. In repenting, you believe. You believe that you are a sinner who has no hope in yourself. You could never work your way to God and God doesn't owe you a favor. Instead, you believe that Jesus died and rose again to rescue you. And in that faith, you ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, please forgive me and rule my life. Here's the good news, what Christians call the gospel. Every person who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved. God makes this offer to all the world. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be forgiven. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you too will find ways in him to overcome a troubled heart. Let's pray together. God, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful for your compassion. And I'm grateful that you've in fact shown us true ways to battle the pain that our hearts sometimes feel. I pray now that you will draw every person in this room closer to Jesus that we might continue to worship you and find joy and comfort in you. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.